Hey everybody, no new episode this week due to some scheduling conflicts on my end, but we do have another Case Rewind episode. This time we're going over the second half of Gosho Oyama short stories. These are pretty fun, uh, different takes from Oyama from Case Closed and Detective Conan. As always, I'd like to give a thanks to our patrons, Jeffrey, Ryan Self, Big Chief Mason, Spencer Young, and William Lee. So thank you guys for the support. We'll be back next week with a new episode. We're going to cover a two-parter, The Secret of the Moon, the Star, and the Sun, a cool Detective Boys episode. So we'll see you then. Uh, enjoy these looks back at a very unique piece of Gishoyama history. Gishoyama Short Story Episode 4, which is Detective George's Many, Many Big Strategy. What a title. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, going into this, just knowing the title, where were your expectations here? Oh, geez. Um, so, after our chat, when you revealed that this was going to be, like, a, a little tiny guy, um, that's all I really knew. I had no idea what the plot was about, and, uh, to be honest, after the episode was over, I was still like, what did I just watch? <laughs> um... But yeah, it it I kind of went blind into this blind. Yeah, was Inspector Gadget like tiny, or was he just ridiculous? He was normal sized, but he had like he was, if you want to call it, genetically modified or something. Like he had okay. things put in him, like saws and I don't know, laser pointers and a propeller and things like that. Considerably taller than George here. Yes, yes, he was. So, yeah, I didn't know anything about this except for that he was a tiny little dude. I just love, on the uh, Detective Canon World Wiki, they describe George as an unusually small man. <laughs> it's like my dating profile. But that's what uh, you've got up there? Claim that's what I've fame. got down there. Yeah, so you, you've you got, like, I like long walks on the beach, and the other part. Unusually small man. Ah, uh, so the special opens with a woman in sunglasses being chased by a bunch of men in black suits, although they're not from the black organization. Uh, she goes up an apartment staircase, and she reaches the Kirishima Detective Agency on the roof. The men spot her, and she runs inside a door labeled... Gioji's office, and that's when she hears a voice to ask her what is with all the racket that's going on. Wait, it didn't say George's office? No, it said Gioji's. There was no R. Oh, seriously? Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I just read the R in. I don't know if, like, uh, like that's George in Japan, J Japanese or something, like a Romanji or, or what. It, there was no R. Okay. I'd have just been an okay. error. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, she hears this voice and she's like, where the hell's this guy? Um, but she's like, please help me, please help me. She can't see him anymore. And that's, and he's like, yo, I'm right here. And then she finally spots him. <laughs> he's right on the desk and he's about yay high, three inches. What'd you think about this guy? He's so tiny. I mean, that was like the most predictable part of this episode for me because you warned me about this. Um... Like, I I just love, there's this common theme in all of 
Goshoyama's short stories. It's just like, you know, park logic at the door, forget about that, and let's just go on and have a good time with this story. So, I mean, I immediately had so many questions. Just like, how did this small guy manage to rent a property on a rooftop? And then later on, we see a car. Like, how? why does he have a car? And <laughs> I don't know. It, a full-size car. A full-size car. <laughs> like, Why? And how is he supposed to use it? Like, it's almost like, is he just waiting for random people to show up and then he gets them to drive the car to wherever they need to go? So the only reason I warned you that he was small, I didn't want you to have the same exact reaction as this woman did, because she (laughs) sees him, she screams in shock, and she immediately passes out. And I just didn't want that to happen to you. Yeah, especially given what happens next. The perv. Yeah, so he, he says quite proudly, he says... Yet another one. He loses conscience in front of my superb physique. He's just so proud of his <laughs> tiny, tiny body. That or he's, like, delusional. The mini detective then says that he's got no choice and it's time to go to work. So he starts to crawl up her skirt, asking if she's alright. This was so unnecessary. Come on. He could have just walked over to her face and patted it, trying to wake her up. Why did he have to go underneath her clothing? Can you so answer that for me? He eventually gets to her chest, which he describes <laughs> nope. as a mountain, and then he trips onto her breasts, and uh, that's when she wakes to him uh, groping her, and that's when he introduces himself as George Kirishima, a private detective. So I felt like you can't just go to somebody's face and wake them up, they'll be scared. Oh, okay, but, you so know, it's better to, you know... Just, like, you know, of... having a nice feel, and, like, they'll be like, oh, that feels good, and they're like, hello, what's your name? They'll say, hey, okay, I'm yeah, what's up? We'll, we'll get along, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and we later find out that she's not even 20 years old. Yeah, but, uh, she was into it. <laughs> she was unconscious. Well, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me. It's all a matter of perspective. <laughs> he was just climbing mountains, man. It is a matter of perspective for him. He's a very tiny man. It's like a bug landing <laughs> I mean, on you, just... Colleen. Think about it. It's a little bigger than a bug. And, I mean... There's some I don't... pretty big bugs. <laughs> Gosh. Well... Um, I don't think that this is forgivable, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, he, the thing about him is, like, this didn't make it him was also the 90s. It was the 90s, yeah. So, it's the 90s, and, like, I think Japan's a little bit more lenient in terms of ages, right? Yeah, 14. Yeah, there you go. Not that so, I know that offhand or anything. I looked that up. No, yeah. you. it seemed like you had to search that for a long time. Yeah, um, thank you. So, like, despite me being a little creeped out at this scene, the, it didn't make George unlikable to me. Now, that might make me sound really weird, but I feel like it wasn't bad enough. Like, it, it was kind of all in jest, if you will. Yep, you know what they say, sexual assault, all in jest. (laughs) 
uh, if she's unconscious, that's okay, because it's all in jest. It's as long as you're less than three inches tall. Let's get the get the groundwork set here. It's okay. No. Yeah. Um, all in jest yeah, and he's, all he's, on the chest. <laughs> he's a creep. The men in black then open the door and tell her to follow along quietly. George tells them that they're going to be in trouble, but they can't spot him anywhere. It then looks as if she hid George in her breast to keep him out of sight. And she then calls the man in black a pervert, so she slaps him. Oh, yeah. After He's he the pervert. Yep. During the commotion, George gets on the man's black-rimmed hat, and he shoots him with a very tiny pistol. It's like this one-millimeter pistol. Uh, but it does manage to stun him, even though it won't do too much damage, because the bullet must have been, like... I don't even know how tiny, like... Like a crumb one, size? Yeah, like, like a little piece of bread. Hit you really hard. Uh, they then run off to the office's bathroom, and he tells her to sit down and pull the blue rope. She accidentally hits, like, the regular flush first, which is kind of funny. And uh, George has to do it himself as the men in black start to break the window to get through. Once they pull that yellow, uh, that blue rope... They all fall into George's car, which is just down there, I guess. <laughs> and uh, he tells her to drive it. This full-size car just waiting there. Like, as you said, you really got to take the logic and just throw it away here. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Well, so, okay. So he's got this full-size office on a rooftop. He's got an escape tunnel, if you will, built in his bathtub. Like, who did all of this for him? And I have a guess as to who, but... Like, they never go into that, at least in this episode. And then, on top of everything, he has a full-size car. And I love how he straps himself into it, too. So she pulls away in the vehicle just before the men fall down, and she introduces herself as Asami Ashikawa. George hilariously starts to smoke a normal-sized <laughs> cigarette, which I was just so amused by. And she asks the question that was on everybody's mind, why did you try to rape me? No. She asks him why he's so tiny. <laughs> he says that secrets are a man's fortune. He then tells her to take a right at the intersection as he has a case that he needs to finish. I like this answer here. What? The yeah, secrets are so, a man's fortune? Yeah. It's uh, similar to uh, a character we'll meet later in Detective Kennedy who says uh, a secret makes a woman woman. Yeah. So. Yeah. I I had that exact same reaction. So... Well, Yama loves his secrets. Yeah, he likes uh, definitely saying that men and women have their secrets. What kind of secret is he having, you know? What are you hiding, Oyama? Are you a tiny man, too? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's actually are a you shrunken... An unusually tiny man? He's a shrunken person. That's why... Is that why, like, the the manga issues are taking longer and longer because he's so tiny and it takes forever to draw this stuff. Oh my goodness, what if that is the case? Oh. Like, every year he gets smaller and he just can't draw anymore. <laughs> we figured it out. Yep. The biggest so. mystery of Detective Conan. Asami and George get to a shrine and head to a well that was built during the Edo period. He says that it hasn't been used for 30 years, but the priest kept it intact. I had big time Inuyasha vibes, just saying. Yeah, yeah. So he was going to jump down there, go to the other time period, uh, all while she gets like taken by the men in black and he's off doing whatever. No, well, they have to. he has to go get the uh, jewel shards of the Shikon jewel. That, that's yep. the plot of this, isn't it? <laughs> 
He tells her to open the chain lock and that the code is 5480. She then gives George's package and she takes off the well's lid. She throws a pebble down to see how deep it is. And then she turns around to see George in full scuba gear. <laughs> what a sight. I love little George. And I want to know he's making all his little equipment because it has to be expensive to get like, here's fully functional scuba gear, but like at like one millionth of the scale. Yeah. I like that that's actually explained or, you know, at least alluded to afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. George tells her to help him into a bucket and to lower him to the bottom of the well as he's going to find out what's down there and give it to his client. She does as he asks and he spots a guardian lion dog statue. He wonders if it was thrown there as a joke and then goes underwater. He swims to the bottom and he spots a comb there that he retrieves. Then gets back in the bucket, and he alerts her to bring him up by shooting this flare gun up in the air. Which is, it's just, I love the t- tiny miniature guns, are just so funny to me. Yeah, because how would even, like, I, who, uh, like, a normal-sized person, I'm using air quotes, who could make something so tiny for George? <laughs> yeah, it's just such a trip. Yeah. Uh, as he's being pulled up, the rope breaks off and the bucket starts falling to the bottom. Asami screams out for George, but thankfully he appears, having used a balloon and a bottle of helium uh, he had on him, so he's talking real squeaky. Mm-hmm. So she laughs in relief, and George then presents the comb to his client, who's an old woman that thanks him for it. And Asami wonders who gave the gift to her. George says that every person is unique and that the comb was so important to her, which is why he accepted the case without knowing who gave it to her. What do you think about this whole comb subplot? Um, <laughs> I, like, I look, I look some stuff up. It seems so meaningless in it. Apparently it ties into another short story that we'll see later. But, uh, like, it seems so random and, like, you're like, what the hell's going on? Oh, definitely. I mean, throughout the episode, I was just trying to figure out, okay, is there a case here? I suppose we want to know who Asami was running away from, but all this other stuff is just like, okay, let's can we just move on with the main story? Like, it was almost distracting uh, if it weren't so funny because, you know, yeah. the scuba gear and all that. Definitely seemed like them, like, trying to fill out the episode. Like, they just fill, they just pushed that in and forced it in to make it a bit longer. Yeah. The peaceful moment they're have, having is rudely interrupted as the car's mirror is shot off by the men in black that begin trailing them in another car. George then hits an emergency button, and we see this miniature radio-controlled Aston Martin Lagonda V8 that appears. He tells Asami that he'll make a diversion and for her to get away. She protests at first, but he's like, don't worry, I'll be back. <laughs> so we we get to see him in this miniature car, and he's trying to taunt the man and shoot at him. They don't even notice he's there. They're like, do you hear anything? No, not really. Which <laughs> is so funny. He's just completely fouling at trying to make this diversion that he said he was going to do. Yeah. I'm also noticing a lot of like similar things going on in this uh, short story and the episode that we just watched because there's a lot of like car action going on. There's an older lady somewhere involved. So I feel like these two actually suit each other, even though it wasn't like planned necessarily that yeah. you would watch them back to back. 
Yeah, so uh, George starts falling behind, so he takes a detour into this building. He talks to this doctor that looks like a bald Agasa. We learn that he's a toy maker, and the kids that are with him are just wowed by the talking puppet. And that's when the doctor presents George with an airplane called the Model 52 or Shiki Fighter. George hops into it, and we learn that it's equipped with missiles, Colleen. Yeah, like, if you thought the pistol was something, get a load of this. What do you think about this, like, Dr. Gasa ripoff guy? Oh, I thought he was great. Like, as soon as, oh, as soon as they introduced the toy shop maker, or the toy shop, toy shop owner, toy maker, whatever you want to call him, I was like, okay, that just, you know, makes things a lot more clear as to how George is able to function in this world. And, like, of course, he would make friends with, like, the toy shop guy would make friends with a tiny person. Like, he, that wouldn't freak him out at all. He'd be like, oh, perfect, I can make all this stuff for you now. Yeah, I love it, just because the kids are there, and they're like, oh, we want to play, we want to play with them. And he's like, oh, I hate kids. Yeah. They're the worst. <laughs> I, one of them looks like Shinichi a bit. Another one looks like Hybera, who we haven't seen in the actual anime before. Uh, I, I couldn't place the third person. I didn't, he didn't really remind me of anybody. Uh, Yeah, I can't remember what he looked like. But we see these kids there. And so George hops into it. He flies off. And this boy that sounds like Ken, and he's like, how much does it cost to, like, build a plane like that and he's like that's a good question <laughs> i don't feel like this toy maker is making much money no um although i misinterpreted that whole uh sequence i thought he was asking because i think the boy not the same not the conan ripoff guy but i think maybe one of the other ones was like oh how much for this puppet referring to george so i thought it was still the same joke he's like how much for george essentially and the joke was, you know, the toy maker guy was like, oh, that's a good question. As if, like, you know, how much would you He's be able to buy to George the black for? Market? Yeah. <laughs> As a doll or an action figure. So we see that the men in black have Asami cornered at the docks. And one of them threatens to get perverted with her before their boss arrives. Uh, before the guy can fill her up, a missile hits the man right in the butt. So he has, like, a hot butt. He's running around, which is funny. And we see George in the plane. George proceeds to fire lock-on missiles to the rest of the men. And that's when the boss arrives. George is then out of missiles, so he ejects, and the plane itself crashes into him. However, as he's parachuting down, uh, the boss just grabs George. He's so tiny, and it's like, what's he gonna do? Um, he uses the cigarette he was smoking, and he burns the man's hand with it. So, that's the big climatic battle there. Right. The big boss battle. And then we get to see Asami again. She's like in a huff. She's all mad. She grabs George and she asks the boss who we learns her father. Uh, and she's like, what's this all about, dad? So what mm -hmm. was your surprise seeing that it was her dad that was chasing after? Uh, the moment the old guy stepped out of the car, I was like, oh, okay, that's her dad. Like there was no other uh, explanation that came to me other than oh this is one of those like it just seemed like the easiest um way to tie up this story making that guy her dad you were right you're very right uh so sami says that she's old enough to make her own choices and that she's this detective secretary and that they've already done pervy stuff well 
I don't know if they've done pervy stuff. He's definitely done pervy stuff. If you're unconscious, have you really done the pervy stuff? Right. You're the... Her father... Victim. Yeah, her father yells at George, and he's like, I didn't do nothing, I didn't do nothing. Um, But then he bows, saying that he leaves his daughter in George's very, very tiny hands. (laughs) So that was a bit of a surprise to me. But it was, like, kind of the stereotypical, like, okay, this guy's a gangster or whoever mob boss but he's like willing to do whatever for his daughter and is just like well i don't care if you've done pervy stuff like you guys could be together forever yeah i mean he's like he's like can this three inch man really make my daughter not a virgin probably right. not she's probably safe so he's like you know this might be the best case scenario we then see george enjoying a cigarette from home and he says that the night calms his heart. And that's when one of the kids from the uh, toy shop owner comes to look at him. And Sami tells the little girl that George isn't a toy. But the kids ask the toy maker how much he costs anyhow. And the special ends with the kids screaming as George says that he hates brands. <laughs> okay, no joke. I thought the little girl, I thought they like skipped ahead some a few years. And the little girl was like their kid or something. <laughs> God, I don't think I could deal with him impregnating somebody. No, wouldn't so you're be- thinking they 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 would have a normal sized kid? Uh, yeah, I think so. Unless they kind of, they like Goshoyama explains why George is the size he is, and it has something to do with um, you know, how he's like a different species of human, and like all of them are that size. Then I don't know. I think that he would have a normal-sized person. So, apparently, uh, this got a few entries as, like, uh, manga chapters. So, there's two more cases that he goes on. This was the introduction, obviously. There's one called Monster of the Ice Country, and I Am a Dentist. (laughs) Apparently, he gets attacked by a cockroach during one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so uh, I'm glad to hear that. And I find I found that out after the fact. So when I watched this, I was like, "Well, that's a bit of a letdown because nothing really happened. There's no real case. Um, I don't count count the hairbrush thing as a case necessarily. But I yeah. gotta say, I really liked this. It was so enjoyable. It was just a, such a fun watch. Yeah. I, I, I... They didn't get animated, but if they did get animated, I would like to watch the other stuff. It's it's a fun idea. It's a very fun concept for a show. So maybe maybe down the line we'll have to see if there's a fan translation of the manga or something we can read. Yeah. So uh, I was quite entertained. Same. Like I think it would be interesting to see what kind of adventures these two would go on. Like, George and his secretary or whatnot. Yeah, and there's definitely, like, some Conan vibes you get from it. Uh, I don't know the exact timeline of when this, like, manga launched. I'm assuming before Conan, uh, but I I don't know. But there are some, or maybe afterwards, but there are some, like, similarities where, you know, the shrunken detective, you've got the Agasa slash soy maker that, like, have fulfill a very similar role. So I kind of like those mainstays staying there. And then he, the toy shop owner has all the kids, like the detective boys that are 
get in get into a bunch of trouble that probably affects George. Yeah. I thought there was a lot of fun similarities, but it, it does have a diff- very different vibe than Detective Conan. Yeah, it's almost a little bit more adult in a way. Oh, that's just because he fouled up a 14-year-old <laughs> okay. or a 20-year-old. Yeah. Uh, so George is sort of like a mix between Conan and Kogro in a way. Like, I love that it was, I'm pretty sure it was Kogro's voice actor who voiced George. So that was fun. Yeah. Apparently we see him in episode 31 of the anime. You see George Kirishima. He's not tiny, but he's like on the on a TV show apparently. Oh, okay. Well, looks like we have to go back now and verify that. Yeah, now we have to watch episode thirty-one. We missed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let me see what case. I also that like. Was real quick. Yeah, uh, I'm just gonna say that um, I also like the fact that George, like this tiny person, happens to hate children. Who, of course, like I would assume kids would, you know, love George because of his tiny stature. But just the fact that he doesn't reciprocate those feelings i I think makes for like interesting character development okay so this was episode 31 the tv station murder case the one where the tv host kills the other guy so it was just like another one of their programming shows so you can spot them there on a tv so that's fun okay cool so yeah, I thought this was a really fun special. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to the next one because it'll be the short one out of the three. Oh. Uh, and we also get to see Baby Shinichi, which I've been <gasps> looking forward to seeing. Really? Because this one has Shinichi as a baby, yes. Oh, I can't wait. Is it like uh, a continuation from the Red Butterfly one? From the last trio? Maybe. It might take place afterwards because yeah, yeah. they have a baby. But, uh, you know, we might see Yusaku, too. So that'll be interesting to see. I'm so excited now. I'm not sure when exactly we'll get to it, but sometime soon. Yeah. So if you had to rank this one amongst the other three that we saw, what would you say? Um, I liked it better. Probably I'd put this. I'd put the second. The first place I'd do the time travel one. The wait for me. I still like that yeah. one a lot. And then uh probably put the the red butterfly last and then the uh summer Santa Claus third. Okay. What about you? Where would you place it? Uh probably the same. Although I think I think the red butterfly one I liked slightly more than Santa Claus. So it would be the time yeah. travel one, George. Red Butterfly and uh, Santa Claus for me. Yeah, it was just so short that it's hard to compare it to something more flushed out. No, that's true, yeah. We're also covering a Kushoyama short story special, uh, The Ten Planets in the Night Sky. So this one features Baby Shinichi, and we, we certainly didn't want to miss that important baby action. No. I feel like this is just as pivotal to the plot as the uh, Black Organization episode. Yeah, you know, this is deep lore of Shinichi as a toddler, and we definitely don't get that often. Yeah, so I'm excited. Yeah, let's actually kick off with this. This was a little short episode. It's about 10 minutes long. It's on the like second 
Geshoyama short story special, released in 1999, The Ten Planets in the Night Sky. Have you ever seen this before, Colleen? Or was this all new to you? No, it was my first time. I've, I've only seen pictures of baby Shinichi. And I thought, oh, he's such a cutie. He's wearing this little, like, onesie outfit. And I was like, man, this is going to be a, a good time. He's an absolute cutie pie. He is. Yeah. Well, he and his mom are, like, sporting the same outfit, both onesies. Well, hers is more of a, I don't know, biker <laughs> suit, but... Yeah, yeah Shinichi has a drift. biker outfit on. Very cool, baby. How old do you think he is on this, like, 230? <laughs> Something like that? Well, he's not talking yet. Yeah, I'll give him, like, two, maybe. He's walking around. He's asking for stuff. The special begins with Shinichi's mom, Yukika, riding a motorcycle with a baby Shinichi in the sidecar. She was previously an actress, but now she's a self-described doting mother and the wife of mystery novelist Yusaku Kudo. She then arrives home and takes Shinichi up to an apartment where six of Yusaku's editors are waiting. Turns out that Yusaku ran away despite being on deadline, and Yukiko notices a makeshift rope out of sheets that he made in order to scale down to a lower floor. Uh, I found this very entertaining, that he's just really pissing off his editor, something he continues to do in the main series. <laughs> I loved it. I, I kind of wish that we had seen and got a peek at that uh, that scene where he was running away. Because um, he comes off as a really kind of, when you actually see him, uh, he comes off as a very kind of serious guy. He takes... Uh, his job seriously although i mean he goofs around but like i don't know if i could picture him scrambling down this makeshift rope so uh it's a it's a very uh funny thing to imagine the editors tell yukiko that her husband left a message for her yusaku tells her please play this tape to my beloved yukiko 10 planets will take off into the night sky i will wait for you next to them so that's all he says. There's not much to that message. Did you pick up on any messages there? Any hints? Uh, not really. Uh, to be honest, I thought that even the first sentence was going to be part of the the clue. It totally wasn't, so I felt dumb. Yeah, so did I. That's why I wrote it, the whole thing out. Because originally I just wrote the last two sentences, and I was like, you know what? Knowing Detective Conan's, you know, layering, that first thing will be a part of it. Nope, totally wrong. Yeah, yeah. So Yukiko's surprised that the message is, is so short, so she listens back to it again. As she's in deep thought, we see little Shinichi also. He, like, gets in a thinking pose, which is really cute. Oh, it was so adorable. Yukiko is asked to solve the code and says that she doesn't know anything about it. However, Shinichi wants to see the tape, she, so she gives it to him. The editors begin to freak out due to the deadlines, and Yukiko mentions that Wakusei is planet in English. She thinks of the word planetarium and mentions that they used to meet there for dates. So we then see her riding her motorcycle to the Kojima planetarium as Shinichi plays with the tape and the editors are all in a bunch of taxis following along. I love how badass this was because Shinichi's not in a baby seat or anything. He's just like in the little sidecar. He's got his goggles on. Yeah, it's such a funny visual. And Real cool guy. There's definitely no baby seat made for sidecars, you know? Like, what are you doing, girl? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't seem safe. But that's just the kind of mom she is. Once she arrives, the employee there says that they don't have a display with the planets taking off towards the sky. Editors burst their way inside anyhow. 
And Shinichi walks up to a poster that says the nine planets spin around the sun. He gets his mom to walk over to it. And that's when she finds it odd that Yusaku mentioned ten planets when there are only nine. Aw, so, this is so dated. <laughs> yeah, now it's only eight. Yukiko mentions this to the editors who say he's not in the planetarium. She wonders if she should remove a character and that's when she gets the word plane. She says it's an airplane taking off into the night sky, and the editors all rush to the airport. However, Conan wants her pen, and she gives it to him. So what's the plane hint for? Uh, oh yeah, with the, like, all things considered. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Because originally I thought that um, when she finally figures out, you know, that she has to open up that map or whatever, like, I thought it was... The spot where he was um, waiting was near the airport. Because that booklet, is, maybe that has something to do with planes. It's like the airport, I don't know, guide or something. A tourist guide. The editors and Yukiko arrive at the airport, but they don't see him anywhere and decide to split up. Yukiko says that Shinichi's dad is a real pain sometimes and spots her son using the pen to take out the cassette tape. Once removed, Yukiko finds 26 4D written on it. So that's the clue. So I'm just curious, since Shinichi figured it out, <laughs> but, like, what was telling her to unravel the cassette tape and, like, look at the tape itself? Because I don't get that from playing. Yeah, I think you and I are on the same uh, page in that I feel like this is a total accident. Like, there was nothing here that would indicate that she was supposed to do that. And how did he even get that on the tape and then manage to still have it work? I don't know. Maybe it was on the part that he didn't record or whatnot, but it just seemed like a total fluke. She takes a look at her map and finds the location, which is Tsubasa Park, which means Wings Park. So I guess like that's kind of a hint, like Wings and Plane, but I still don't get how otherwise you get to that location. Um, she then says that it has to be it, and she finds Yusaku there smoking a cigarette. Once again, cool. There's nothing cooler than smoking cigarettes, Colin. Yeah, remember that. Yeah, I'm gonna start smoking like eight packs a day to try and impress you. <laughs> I'm gonna have lung cancer like one year into this podcast. Yeah, but as long as I'm impressed, that's all that matters. Well, yeah, you know, I'm a man with priorities. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Yusaka greets his wife and then she asks if he has time to be playing around when everybody's looking for him he says that he isn't playing around and that the manuscript is already finished and he shows off like six different floppy disks and CDs showing he has all the work done and he says that the editors are gonna get fat the way they're going so they could use some exercise easy for him to say skinny Yusaki says that he, while he loves being a successful writer, the work never ends. He then suggests that the three of them go to Los Angeles. Hikiko says that maybe Shinichi will become even more famous than him, and Yusaku wonders if he'll be an actor. She says, who knows, and the three of them enjoy this nice little scenery at the park, this peaceful park. There's a beautiful night sky filled with stars. And that's kind of how it ends. And then Yukiko repeats her introduction. But she ends it by saying she's the mother of future high school detective Shinichi Kudo. It's a very short, very sweet little look into Kudo, into the Kudo love, if you will. What do you think of the the ten planets in the night sky? Um. Yeah. I mean, I found it was so nice to see uh, Shinichi as a little baby because I think we get like 
very sparse moments uh, throughout the series. So it was cute to see him in like his little onesie and whatnot, already solving mysteries. He's like a prodigy or whatnot. The the like clues themselves. I'm with you. I'm not really sure how we were supposed to get you know from. 10 planets to the tape unraveling the tape and then to the actual location it just kind of seemed like it was all accidental but anyways I was I was along for the ride and uh it kind of made me wonder at the end when um Yusaku was like oh let's go to Los Angeles did Shinichi grow up in LA because I know they have like a another house there I think he definitely spent time in LA but they they definitely kept their Japanese residents, and I think they wanted him to go to school ultimately in Japan, mm-hmm. but he definitely spent time in America. And uh, yeah. there's some cases that take place in America, like flashback cases. Yeah, which, uh, the New York ones. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, he grew up with Ron, so it was just like a little, wasn't sure how long they were in LA before coming back. What did you think of the the short? Yeah, I thought it was a little cute episode. Um, like you, I like seeing Shinichi. I, I get what they were trying to do with the episode, which is like Shinichi was leading his mother along. And I guess I can't really fault it for being accidental when he's like two. You know, I don't expect yeah. like this great logic. Um, so he does help her even if the stuff's accidental. Like I'm sure he doesn't know what he was really doing there. And while I still don't understand how they got like the hints to undo the cassette tape uh from playing at least still was a you know fun little episode it's not it's kind of hard to judge compared to like a regular episode because it is just like a little short interlude type thing on that special but i I thought for what it was it was a nice little thing to see baby shinichi that's like the real highlight is just seeing baby shinichi rather than the the story itself or anything Mm-hmm. And depending on when you watch this, uh, I think it's a nice little either foreshadowing or callback to those episodes with Yukiko solving mysteries. She has whatever her nickname is, like the Lady of Mystery or whatever, or Lady Detective. I can't remember what it was, but uh, it's kind of fun to see Shinichi and his mom sort of partner up. Although I'm disappointed that she puts Conan down her shirt, but not baby Shinichi. No, no, no. <laughs> Although he probably would have fit better as a baby. Yeah. Just saying. Now we move on to the second part here, which is a Gusho Oyama short story. And it's called Play It Again. We're finishing up the uh, second part of that special here. How excited were you going into this? Did you know anything about Play It Again prior to watching Colin? Because I didn't. Absolutely nothing. No. I knew zero about this. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea if I would like it or not because I've kind of been like I've, I've had mixed reviews of the short story. Some of them I thought were really awesome, some less so. So I didn't know where this one would fall. So play it again. It opens with the sight of cherry blossoms falling as a young girl named Michiko holds a practice sword and says that her grandfather, Sanjuro, can't come on visiting day. Okay, did you find this odd? Because I, I remember like parents come to school day and stuff but it was in like elementary school it was never like high school this seemed odd to me (laughs) so we had uh parent teacher interviews all the way up to like the last grade of high school at my school but it it was very much like the parents and the teachers would meet up it wasn't like 
the parents would come into the classroom and see how the kids were doing. So Sanjuro asks if he did anything wrong, and she says that he can't bring a sword with him while watching her in class. He wonders what she is ashamed of, and then tells her to look at the tree as it was planted when he was born, and that she shouldn't be shy. Whatever path you follow must be beautiful like the flowers and trees, he says. So remember that, Colleen. Be beautiful like the flowers and trees. No, I'm getting that tattooed on my arm this weekend. Words to live by. She then yells at him, saying that she is tired of hearing that speech. He then says that she has to defeat him in a sparring match if she wants to get her way. Sinjuro then calls himself the demon and says that he won't be taken out easily. She then immediately just turns her back and starts to run away, which forces him to chase after her. She runs around the tree repeatedly until he runs out of breath and says that while he mastered the path of the sword, he can't do anything about his age. And that's when Machiko hits him in the head with her practice sword, and this old man just falls to the ground in tears. What do you think about these two characters? This is uh, quite the funny introduction here. Yeah, so I, uh, well, first of all, I I got a hoot out of uh, Sanjuro's voice. I'm pretty sure it's the same voice actor who does Megure, so it was kind of interesting to see that voice matched with a very different looking character. Um, as for the two characters, I didn't really understand what the granddaughter's beef was. Like, I thought, like, if my grandfather was a swordsman, I'd want him to come to my school. Like, I don't know why she was all embarrassed about that. I guess I didn't really understand the conflict. Well, everybody's kind of embarrassed by their parents, I think. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, even if you have, like, the coolest parent... You're still going to be, like, if you're their kid, you're going to be embarrassed by them. Um, So, I mean, it seemed like they had this kind of uh, really casual kind of relationship. Like, it didn't feel like he was some sort of really strict grandfather. It actually reminded me a lot of, if anyone's seen Ranma One Half, like, um, a lot of the characters are martial artists in that show. So, uh is kind of like okay this granddaughter was brought up in this specific way to know kendo or whatever so i think it was kendo sorry i don't mean to say like whatever but i just don't know exactly which uh uh which yeah it was kendo i guess okay thanks um so yeah I, i i guess that's that's kind of a cool aspect like that she kind of was brought up in the family tradition um so so it's a little it's kind of interesting that this is how they would uh sort of resolve conflict even like let's you know fight and see who wins type of thing so she explains her tactics she says that if she had faced him head on then she would have had no chance however her strategy was a success having outsmarted her grandfather Machiko tells him that he can't come and Sanjuro is just ashamed to lose to a girl. It's much like me losing an argument to you on here, Colleen. I'm like, ah, I did it again. I lost to a woman. Okay, let's be clear. Like, you never lose the argument. I come out at the bottom all the time. Okay, so I'm not even going to touch that. Um, <laughs> she then runs... <laughs> okay, delete that. She then runs off to school while Sanjuro remarks on getting old. He looks at the cherry blossom tree that he's under, and he says it's like his other self as they're the same age. He then asks the tree why its flowers still bloom with such energy, while he is an old man. I envy you, he tells the tree. If only I could be as young as you. 
He then passes out under the falling cherry blossoms, and we get the title card. Have you ever been envious of a tree? Um, not envious. I mean, I've looked at trees and thought they were nice, like weeping willows, but uh, I don't think I've ever been like, gee, I want to be a weeping willow. So I'm envious of every tree over six foot, and that's when I'm like, man, I wish I could be tall like you, tree. And I <laughs> fall asleep, but sadly I don't grow when I wake up. Okay, the, the tree doesn't put its leaves on you and give you its height. It's probably because it wasn't planted the same day I was born, so my, once again, oh, okay. my parenting really dropped the ball here. Mm, that's right, you have to find a tree that was born the same day that you were born because that's your like kindred spirit tree yep so at the school Michiko is relieved not to see her grandfather and wonders if it's really normal to open high school classes to the public we then see her grandfather wake up with a voice full of energy although his face is obscured by a tree branch did you you did you realize what was going on here yeah yeah i thought it was pretty obvious because i'm like not only his you know body was different but his voice too so yeah i wasn't like <laughs> i don't know why they bothered doing that because it wasn't it didn't come out as a big surprise when they revealed his face yeah i'm the same i'm with you 100 percent uh he says that machika will pay for what she's done and back at her school machika is about to read aloud in front of the class when her grandfather runs in calling her name she's embarrassed and she's shocked to see a young man enter the room instead What'd you think about uh, young Sanjuro? Were you into him? Oh, sure. Yeah. He had like these, um, I think it was supposed to be stubble, but it kind of looked like whiskers coming out, but not like Naruto whiskers, just sort of like, I don't know, weird hobo homeless people whiskers. But uh, yeah, otherwise he was pretty cute. So you're into the hobo look? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> if that's what you're hearing, then that's definitely not what I'm saying. So uh, Michiko asks who he is, and he tells her not to mock him. He's then asked to leave by the teacher, who tells the young man to go back to class, and that he's wearing some strange clothes before kicking him out. Another student then asks Michiko who that was, and she has no clue at all. Sanjuro then storms off, and he's like, I'm wearing my best kimono, what are they yelling at me about? <laughs> he walks by a mirror, that's when he notices that he's much younger, and he can't believe what he's seeing. A time trip... I became young again, and he just screams that. We then see Machiko thinking back on the student saying his kimono looked like her grandfather's, and her classmate then points out the man running outside and doing cartwheels, so this dude is full of energy, and he loves to be young again. Yeah, that's great. Wouldn't you like to be young again? God, yes. <laughs> so much. Every single day, Colin, you don't even know. I, I just want to, you know, I, I don't even have to go that like far back. Just before I started a Conan podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Your life was so much better then. Sanjuro vows to do everything he wanted to do. And uh, Machiko's classmate just says, your friend's kind of odd. Very true. I was really surprised that the friend didn't automatically ask her if that was her boyfriend. Because that tends to be where they go like in their line of questioning. We then see Sanjuro hit him runs at a batting cage. He even does one with his foot, which I'm not sure how that even works but that's <laughs> hey when you're young impressive. you can do it he then goes bowling he even goes to mcdonald's and eats about 30 burgers and several orders of fries it's amazing he didn't have a heart attack here 
No, he was filming Super Size Me. One of his, one of that guy's, I forget the director's name, but one of his follow-up films was something called like the greatest story ever told or something, ever bought or something. But anyhow, he bought the city where I'm from. He bought like the name to the, he, he renamed the city after his damn movie for like one day. Oh. It was a whole ordeal. Morgan really Spurlock. Stupid. Yeah. Didn't he get me too? Is he canceled? Possibly. He was relevant for like a few years and now I don't know what's what's going on with him. Yep. December 2017, he admitted to a history of sexual misconduct. Screw you, guy. <laughs> yeah. Let me find this other film here. Okay, so it was called The Greatest Movie Ever Sold. And on April 27, 2011, the city of Altoona officially changed its name to Palm Wonderful Presents The Greatest Movie Ever Sold, Pennsylvania. And received $25,000 for doing so. So if you ever want to buy my city's name, apparently, just cough up 25000 and you can just completely make an ass out of all of this. I was so ashamed by that. I was like, oh, God. That's not even that much in the grand scheme of things. No, it was really embarrassing. And our city, like, took, like, some weird prize, like, pride in it. And I was like, ugh, this place is so embarrassing. <laughs> now you, you can't live it down. <laughs> okay just rename here here's what we'll do we'll we'll buy it by the city name and rename it conan town yeah just like that there city just like that town in japan sounds good sanjuro goes into a bookstore and he's about to buy a dirty magazine when we see ron and sonica make a cameo yeah. and they walk past him so that this uh distracts him and he actually notices a book of poetry by mokichi saito and he reads a romantic poem that mentions a flower comb. And that reminds him of his first love, apparently, as he takes a train to this other area, part of town. And he says that it's really changed over the past 60 years. And that's when he arrives at Baker Temple, which hasn't changed much. He says that this is where he met a girl once. And then he runs to the back where a well is located. Do you, did you remember this well from the other special we did with the the short guy george with George. Giorgio. at first yeah. no i was actually getting really mad um inuyasha vibes from the way this guy was dressed and the well that's kind of where my mind was at but then when i saw the uh the hair comb i was like oh okay it's referring back to the mini whatever george mini mystery whatever that one was called yeah so it's locked since it isn't being used anymore. And he says that she lived nearby before remembering that it was 60 years ago. So she probably isn't there anymore. He goes walking around the town until he doesn't know where he is. And that's when cherry blossoms start flowing towards him. So he walks towards them. That's when he spots a beautiful young girl in a red kimono holding a cat. However, his flashback disappears. And now it's the current day and he sees an old woman holding a cat there. So I doubt it's the same cat. <laughs> I don't know. You never you never know with cats. They have nine lives and all. He notices a golden hairpin and her granddaughter comes outside and asks if she she's cold. She says that she's alright, and then she holds her great grandchild in her arms, and Sanjuro starts tearing up at the scene, and he, he seems glad that his first love is doing well. And so he walks away and we see the old lady notices him. And she's kind of shocked by it, and she takes out her hairpin to play with the baby. And she says that this is the comb that let us meet, him and me, back then. 
What do you think about this scene? It's a quite the detour here, uh, and we don't get a ton of information of their significance. And obviously, they wound up with different people because they each have grandchildren now. Uh, what do you think about this? Did you find it sweet? What were your thoughts? Well, it was kind of. I felt like it was a little bit of a one eighty, like from going to looking at porn magazines, or not looking, but trying to get one, and then thinking of your first love and then you go like go and visit her i was like okay interesting well, segue. <laughs> what's what's the good part of your first love colleen come on <laughs> he was like "Ooh, ooh, i i'm actually interested now um like w- i guess i was i had mixed emotions in that i thought it was super endearing and sweet and all that but i also wondered why did he wait so long to go and find her i guess it was because he like this was the first time he thought about her in a long time maybe so uh that's the only thing i could think of but uh yeah it is odd because it's like what are you gonna do like <laughs> she's not gonna like she's gonna be confused as you're 18 again and then I don't, yeah it, it is very strange what his angle is but he seemed to just be happy to check up on her and then be glad that she's doing well yeah and i was i thought that that's the direction the episode was going in that he would eventually sort of present himself to her and then they'd you know meet up afterwards when he eventually you know aged again because let's face it he wasn't gonna stay young forever like that but uh, yeah that never happened sinjuro then decides to go back to school and he takes a leak in the bathroom that's when he overhears a delinquent named nakata saying that he will target michiko they warn that her grandfather is a master swordsman, but Nakadai says that he's just an old geezer now. Besides, girls should be taken by force, he says. Uh, I assume you don't agree with that statement. Uh, no, I, I thought this guy was a pig. <laughs> Let's just be real there. I mean, I don't know if, if you thought he was, you know, the greatest ever, but... <laughs> I, I well, I thought saying. he made some really good points. Oh, no, did he there. now? <laughs> Especially that last line. I thought it was strange just because, like, like Sanjuro is obviously upset here initially. But once he realizes that, like, because, spoiler here, uh, his daughter's, or his granddaughter is attracted to the guy that wants to apparently rape her. Um, but he's kind of like, ah, these crazy kids <laughs> at first. And he's like, he, there's a moment where he's like, well, I'm not gonna embarrass the guy she likes or whatever, but and it's like, what are you? She he said he was gonna rape her. Like, what's yeah. going on, dude? Yeah. So it was almost like, oh, did you care more about the sword fight at that point than sort of like what this guy said he would do to your granddaughter? Yeah, it was strange. It was almost like he respects him as a like a swordsman. So he's like, I can look past that until he shows that he's truly irredeemable. Look past that personality flaw. Yeah, I guess maybe it was just, uh, as as Donald Trump said, it was just locker room talk, you know? Yeah, it was urinal talk. Well, that's true. So I, I was I got some insight into what dudes talk about in the bathroom. Yeah, we, we say women gotta be forced. We gotta force ourselves upon them. Please yeah. don't, like, uh, we- take that out of context. Don't. <laughs> I was... <laughs> We've got not, confirmation now, ladies. with him. So uh, that enrages Sanjuro, who's holding a plunger of all things. And he says, This, this uh, is awesome. <laughs> says they're not going to touch his granddaughter. 
The other boys grab brooms and they rush towards him and he easily dodges all their attacks and he embarrasses them with the plunger just sticking in their face and pulling it off. And Nakarai says that his friends are no match for him and that he'll handle him. So they they move the duel outside. I was very disappointed. I thought they were going to have like this one-on-one battle in the bathroom and I was so hyped. It was so epic. As, as, like while I was in the bathroom, like there's action mu- uh, music was going on, and it was like super intense. And the camera was panning, like the way you would see in a duel, like an actual fight. So it it was really hyping it up. And then when you realize that they're still in the bathroom and Sanjuro's fighting with a plunger, it just makes it all the more awesome. <laughs> so as they go outside, news of the fight spreads throughout the school, and the students yell out that Nakadai from the Kendo Club is fighting against some weird guy. And they all gather outside, including Michiko. And Sanjiro is still holding a plunger. (laughs) (laughs) And Sanjiro winds up being impressed that Nakadai is using the Uinto guard, which he says is rare to be used by somebody that young. Nakadai recognizes that Sanjiro is using the Takagasumi guard. Sanjiro then uses his plunger to summon a Cherry Blossom Storm. So I don't know if this is like some supernatural thing. What the hell is going on here? It's just all these cherry blossoms start coming out from his plum or from his plunger. I was like, what the hell is going on here? It's magic. However, his he gets distracted by Machiko, who yells at Nakadai to hang in there, and that's when the a wannabe rapist takes advantage of the distraction and he hits Sanjira right in the head. And he just can't believe that his granddaughter is in love with this asshole. And he falls to the ground. I couldn't believe it either. Gosh, goes to show you what uh, what she knew about that guy. Nakadai is perplexed by his win. And he can't comprehend what happened. Because obviously he had more skill than he showed there. And he beat him so easily. This I find really fascinating about anime characters. And I mean, I'm saying it as if people aren't this way as well but i the best reference i can make right now is this character in particular he even though he won he wasn't all you know gloating about it he was actually super confused he was like what i didn't get a you know proper fight because this guy was obviously more skilled like there's some sort of like honor code going on here yeah, because you want the best out of your opponent you know he almost felt disrespected that he didn't get the fight that he was he should have gone, you know? Yeah. That's why Sasuke doesn't like Naruto at first. It's how you should feel talking to me, because obviously I dumbed myself down to be on your intellectual level, Colleen. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm surprised you can muster that up for about an hour. Well, somebody has to do it. <laughs> <laughs> somebody has to spend time with you, Colleen. Machiko then helps bandage Sajiro up and says that the kendo geniuses like Nakadai shouldn't be trifled with. He tells her that she should just leave him and go to be with Nakadai if she likes him so much. However, she says that she can't let someone leave with an injury. He says it's just a scratch, and she says that she already has one back home, a stubborn samurai that doesn't know when to quit. This, uh, this dorky dude is reminding her of her grandfather here, which is good because it is her grandfather. Yeah, I, she just never finds out, so there's not really any sort of resolution to this this aspect. Sandro then tells Michiko that she'll make a good wife one day. She tells him to shut up and stop saying her first name, because uh, that is something uh, unique to, well, maybe not unique to Japan, but it's very different from our culture. 
to where the students basically always refer to each other by their last name rather than their first name. Yeah. Only if you're like super close would you use each other's first names. She then asks for his name and he says that it's Sakura Sanjuro. And she's just like, that's a weird name. <laughs> they then walk home and she warns him not to try anything weird as her grandfather will kill him if he does. And in his mind, he's like, nobody would do that to their own granddaughter. Jeez, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like these, okay, so just like there's that. And then there's the fact that um, Michiko is like, you know, don't try and try anything with me. But at the same time, she's crushing on the the school wannabe rapist. And by the end, she starts crushing on her younger grandfather a bit. Yes, that that was also kind of odd. <laughs> Sorry, that was odd. I don't know why I said kind of, to lessen the blow. As they walk back, Machiko notices Nakadai and starts fawning over him. He tells Sanjuro that he wants to fight him again, as he wasn't convinced by the first fight. They then dole in front of the cherry blossom tree in his yard, and he has a whole conundrum since he doesn't want to embarrass his opponent or lose himself. That's because... He's like, oh, my granddaughter likes this guy. You know, I have a problem either way. However, Nakadai pulls out a real sword. So then it's like, oh, okay, this dude fucking sucks. <laughs> Michiko says that he can't use a real sword against a weakling and that they should fight instead. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so at this point, at this point, she still thought he was a weakling. So it takes like less than, you know, three minutes for her to change her tune. Well, put yourself in her shoes, Colleen. Let's say you see Naruto, he's, you know, the bumbling, foolish ninja, and then he does some cool shit, and then you're like, whoa. And then he turns into nice. Sasuke? Yeah, that works. Nakadai laughs at the notion of fighting a girl, and says that once he's taken care of Sanjuro, he'll be all hers. He then just throws her to the ground, and Sanjuro's like, okay, now I really gotta fuck this dude up. <laughs> he, he sucks. I also like how this guy's such a scumbag that he knows that she's into him. And he still doesn't want her, like, willingly. He still wants to, like, he gets some sick pleasure over forcing her to be with him. So, like, the fact that she likes him means that he has to make her dislike him for him to be, like, into it. Like, it's really just some messed up psychopath shit, huh? Yeah, I mean, I it was pretty obvious that he was just in it to use her and... He kind of wanted to, well, I mean, that's a whole different episode that's not really covered here, but, like, he could very easily have taken her because she's, you know, so into him, but, uh, like, he didn't want a genuine relationship with her. <laughs> Let's be real. Nakadai then rushes towards Sanjuro, but he dodges a strike. Nakadai then cuts down a smaller cherry blossom tree. And it's revealed that he's using the two-sword style. He claims to be the modern-day Musashi. And he slices Sanjuro's wooden sword in half. And then he actually slices Sanjuro's shoulder, cutting him. And he tells Nakadai that his lust and ambition tarnishes his swords. Machika runs into her house looking for her grandfather, but she can't find him. However, she spots his swords. She throws it to Sanjuro. He catches it, and now the duel's finally on even terms. He then uses the Cherry Blossom Sword and is able to cut off Nakadai's clothes, leaving him in his boxer shorts, and he cuts off, like, the top of his head, so it looks like he's bald, which I thought was very funny. Yeah, that was pretty cool. 
and Machiko cries and fetches a first aid for Sanjuro to tend to his cuts there. What do you think about this fight scene? It's pretty intense. Yeah, it. Uh, so again, I didn't realize that this is where the direction the episode was headed. I thought it would be more of like a love kind of story and maybe exploring, you know, youth, but it ended up being like this fight dueling drama, which was pretty cool anyways. I'm not complaining. Um, so this fight scene, like, I had no doubt in my mind that Sanjiro would win this time. So it just was that much more satisfying how badly he won or like how well he won i don't even know how to put that but like how badly the other guy lost yeah and he did so without stooping to his level like that guy was obviously trying to hurt him and even kill him but you know he managed to beat him by not laying like he didn't he didn't cut him he didn't bother him all he did was prove his superiority by slicing up his the top of his hair and then taken off all his clothes, so he yeah. embarrassed him. He left his socks and boxers and shoes, though, so the guy's feet wouldn't get scratched up. Well, he didn't want to. He didn't want Michiko to see what he's packing and almost fall in love again with that asshole. Yeah, we wouldn't want that. <laughs> she's already sort of like she's already started having feelings for Sakura Sanjiro, so <laughs> can't go back now. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, and it was satisfying in that, like, because of the honor code between the swordsmen, like, Nakadai could, could, like, bow down his head and say, okay, you're the superior fighter here. Sanjiro then looks at the bare cherry blossom tree and thanks it for giving him back his youth. However, he's had enough and he's gotten what he wanted out of it. And that's when he returns to his current age. Michiko then returns and she asks where her grandfather has been and where Sakura went. And he says, don't tell me you fell in love with some good for nothing. (laughs) And uh, Michiko sticks her tongue out and says that the guy she was talking to was much cooler than her grandpa. And he starts to laugh as the story ends. So, uh, yeah, other than the weird uh, generational skip incest scenario there, uh, a cute little story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that's what you thought of the episode? Uh, I, I liked it. I thought it was a solid thing. Again, like it's definitely one in directions I wasn't expecting. I didn't expect it to be so uh, action-oriented. And you know, looking back upon it, the whole thing with the, the first love kind of seems almost underexplored. I get that they only have like 22 minutes to go through this stuff. Um, but it, it felt like just a little bit more could have been explored under having you know, a day as your youth again, what would you do? Um, although I guess it just shows that he didn't have a ton of selfish desires. He just wanted to check in on his first love, play some baseball, <laughs> eat some food, you know, enjoy the simple things in life. Um, and that kind of reminds me of that uh, Santa Claus in summer, or whatever that other special was, where he kind of had that one day where he could do anything he wants because... You know, he had the power of the military and everything, and the government and everything, to where you kind of just see what their inner desires are, and he was kind of a little basic on that level. Um, But I thought it was a a, a neat little story. I'm glad Michiko didn't get raped. And I I thought the action scenes were fun. Uh, What were were your thoughts overall? And are you glad that she didn't get raped? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, 
Besides the, you know, romanticizing toxic relationships and lechery part, I really enjoyed this. Um, uh, I really liked it basically up till the end because although the ending was fine, I just didn't feel satisfied because I wanted there to be sort of this tie back to his first love. Like maybe he went over there and they actually ended up talking and chatting and reconnecting or whatnot, but that didn't happen so I felt like there that aspect was missing but overall I really enjoyed it and it's funny that you mentioned uh, Santa Claus and Summer because I had that same reflex to compare the two but uh for me it was more like this story was very much like okay he went back to his youth and he did sort of like everyday things and the the story felt very um minimalistic very compact whereas Santa Claus in the summer I felt like there was so many so many like a much grander thing at play because you had sort of like the whole uh world was going to end aspect so it was like he needed to you know save the world at some point and then all this one was is that okay he he needed to fight this guy and he didn't even um actively look for a way to get back to his normal body so there was no like shock factor there there was no like anybody finding out who he was it was just kind of like a vacation for a few hours and like he wasn't there was no concern uh, over you know what what was going to happen to him so I appreciate the lightheartedness aspect of that despite it you know having some other uh, themes that were maybe less desires so I mean you mentioned the thing about him not them kind of leaving the uh the first love thing uh underexplored and I, I do agree to an extent but i also think it was kind of nice how it was he noted that she was happy with her family and obviously he has a he values his you know family and his relationship with machiko so i think i think it's kind of nice to just leave them be he saw like oh we had our time together and he knew that she still cared about him because she still had the uh the hairpin you know maybe not as like her greatest love or whatever but part of her was still sentimental towards that and i think he, he could just let it go and let the past be the past after you know seeing that and i think you know they both have something important to them uh through that yeah he has a tree and she has a cat yep <laughs> so yeah yeah the, we, we referred to this earlier about that george special the many many detective uh, he basically retrieves the hairpin for the lady. So I guess that happened in-universe slightly before this, where she was able to get the hairpin back. Yeah, so I, I appreciated uh, that as well, sort of tying in the different stories together in that way. Yep, so uh, that'll do it here for that. So the last three we've done are the Detective George's Many, Many Big Strategy the Ten Planets in the Night Sky, and then obviously this one, play it again. Which of those three did you uh, like most of all? Um, hmm. Okay, I mean, I like I like me a baby Shinichi. He's super cute and all, but I think plot-wise, uh, I enjoyed this one the most. Play it again, and then it'd probably have to be George, and then Ten Planets, just because Ten Planets was kind of, you know, it's very short, and the the kind of code solving there didn't really get to me. So yeah, I'd say play it again was the best of these three for me. 
Yeah, I agree with your order. Uh, again, it's not like the Baby Shinichi one's bad. It's just... First off, it's one of those like quick like seven-minute ones. It's the interlude, so it's kind of underexplored by design. And uh, we both had issues with that puzzle because <laughs> it didn't really make much sense how it was solved. Um, but then overall, uh, the first three were The Santa Claus of Summer, The Wandering Red Butterfly, which was how... Uh, like one of the first dates between Kudo, uh, Yusaku, and Yukiko. And then we had Wait For Me, which was the time travel one, where the dorky boy had his girlfriend like traveling through space and time for several years, and he forgot about her. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite overall of those six? Ooh. Um, I don't know if I can pick one. I think it's it's a tie between, uh, what was that first one called? The time travel one? Wait For Me. It's probably a tie between Wait For Me and Play It Again. I, I like them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those are the two that stuck out for me as well. Um, and these both have school settings. Um, so Yeah, it's, so it's kind of nice to get a, a supernatural element in a school setting. Um, yeah, so. And they both had like a time factor to them. So I guess we like that theme a lot. <laughs> Definitely, because Detective Conan has a time factor to it. You know, the kids shrinking and being younger. So yeah. definitely up our wheelhouse. You can follow the podcast at case underscore reopened. Uh, if you use Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate any reviews that you can leave us. Uh, Colleen, do you have anything you want to tell the listeners? Stay safe, stay healthy, and be merry. How's that? That'll do it for this week. We'll be back next week with that two-parter. So we'll see you then. Bye. Thanks for listening. And remember, one truth always prevails.